Um, our reading is from Titus chapter 3, verse 1 to 11. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Sorry, I have to flip the page. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Abiel. Um, today is a very special Sunday because uh, we have a guest speaker coming to share with us this morning. Um, our guest speaker is John Risbridger, uh, which we are very excited to hear from. Um, so John uh, heads up the National Leadership and Theology Training for the Programme um, uh, program for Churches in the Catalyst Movement. That's a movement of churches across the UK and into Europe. Uh, John is also the chair of the Evangelical Alliance Council. Uh, before that, John led Above Bar Church, our friends over the road, for 18 years. Um, an incredible service and leadership in this city. Um, I'd say personally, um, John has been such, a, a, such an important friend for me, such an advocate of ours. Um, and when we arrived, we planted uh, five years ago. We were welcomed uh, really well by the churches here in Southampton, but I felt very personally welcomed uh, by John, who reached out and before befriended uh, me and has got to, we've got to know each other and um, uh, we don't share a love of running, um, uh, although John's quite keen um, for me to get better at that. Um, uh, John is also married to uh, Alison, who's actually um, a teacher at City College, which is just the college just behind us here. They have two amazing daughters um, and we are so privileged to have him come and speak with us today. And so I'd love for you to give him a massive warm welcome. Uh, welcome, John. Well, thank you very much, John, for that introduction. Uh, after that, I feel like I'm going to have to be absolutely amazing. But uh, anyway, it's brilliant to, uh, to be here. And uh, everything that John's said about our friendship, I totally echo. And uh, just want to say how encouraged uh, I am to see what God is doing here in St. Mary's. And just to get a flavour of it here this morning, we've been in the evening a few times, but it's our first time in the morning. And it's, uh, it's just brilliant to be here. Let's just still our hearts for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to come and bring God's word alive to us.
Holy Spirit, be our teacher as we open your word together. Renew us, transform us, energize us to live for you within this city. And show us Jesus so that we're not just people with a kind of political program or um, sociological vision, but that we are people captivated by the kingdom of God, longing to see that come right here in Southampton. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, sorry, I'm getting old, so I have to wear glasses now, but uh, that's okay. I guess if there was any church uh, in this city that you would say is like the church in Southampton, it would kind of have to be St. Mary's, wouldn't it? I mean, I was involved at a pub bar for 18 years and uh, loved it there. Great community to be a part of and very much at the heart of the city. We love that. But I guess in terms of, you know, the church in Southampton... St. Mary's has got to be at the top of the list. You've, you've been here, I was reading online, since the 7th century or the 19th century, depending which version of the history, but what is kind of 13 centuries between friends. But it's a long time that you've been around. And if you go on Wikipedia, it says that you are the mother church of the city. And if it says it on Wikipedia, I believe it. So that's like official. And... You pretty much founded the football club too, didn't you? Although, as you say, we're not kind of mentioning that right now, but we're full of hope for the future. Uh, you're the church in Southampton, right at the heart of the city, and that's a great place to be. But this morning, I want to just share with you about something which I know is already very important for you, and it's very important in my heart as well. And it's about not just being the church in Southampton, but being the church for Southampton, the church for Southampton. It's actually right there in your vision, isn't it? Your, your prayer that Hannah echoed a few minutes ago for the renewal of the city. You want to be agents of renewal and transformation in the city. But the great thing is that isn't just in your vision, it's right in the Bible as well. And that's really all I want to show you this morning about being the church for Southampton. The kind of church which, as uh, the American pastor Tim Keller put it, presses so much value into the city where God has placed you that even though the city may sometimes say, you know, we don't believe anything you believe, they also say, we couldn't imagine this place without you because you bring so much. You're the church for the city. What does it mean? Well, it's here in this, uh, this little letter which we call Titus in our Bibles. I've got to say to you, I have never met a Christian who would say that Titus is their favourite book of the Bible. If it's your favourite book of the Bible, please put your hand up and I'll make friends with you afterwards. Okay, so none of us would say it's our favourite. And to be honest, it hasn't been my favourite over the years. But over the last couple of years, I've become really passionate about this book. And I'll tell you why. It's pretty clear it's written by the Apostle Paul, one of the, uh, the, the most influential, shaping kind of founders of the early Christian church. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, and you can read lots of books about it, there's lots of stuff that tells you about how Paul started churches, like John and Hannah did here five years ago. And that's brilliant. We can learn lots from that. But I'm not only interested in how Paul started churches. What I really also want to know is what was Paul's heart and vision and expectation for those churches 
once they'd got underway? Was it like, you know, you start off all dynamic, all miracles, all vision, all passion, amazing, and then after a couple of years, you just kind of settle down to be a little community rather turned in on itself and that nobody notices not doing very much? Because let's be honest, that's what's happened with a lot of churches in our country. Is that actually Paul's vision, not just for starting the church, but for the ongoing life of the church? And the great thing is, you can go into this letter, which we call Titus, and is usually called one of the pastoral letters, like to to help the church in its ongoing life. And what you find is that Paul's vision for the church is not at all that it turns in on itself in such a way that it's never noticed, but that it becomes the church for the community in which it's placed. And that's why I love this book that's called Titus. Titus was a friend of Paul's, a co-worker with him, and he was uh, living on the island of Crete. We've got a nice little picture of Crete right up on there on the screen. Now, lovely place for a holiday. I want to be there right now. But um, So I guess they had kind of surfers church and church on the beach and all kinds of really edgy things. I really, really want to be there now. Um, but uh, we don't know exactly, but it looks like Paul started some churches in Titus. It never actually says that in Acts, but it's probably true. But what we do know is that he left his friend Titus there to kind of finish the job and make sure that these churches didn't just exist, but that they were strong and healthy and in a good place. What did that mean? Well, if you read through the whole letter, it's something like this. They needed to be faithful churches, sticking really clearly to the message of Jesus so that they could speak it to their community. Faithful so they could speak the message to the community. That's chapter one. But they also needed to be standout, distinctive churches, living radical lives of discipleship for Jesus that would make that message attractive in their community. So they speak to the community. They live distinctively in the community. That's chapter two. And then chapter three... They're serving churches that are doing good for the community. You got it? To the community, in the community, and then chapter three, for the community, which is where we're landing today. Because actually all of those are still important for us as churches in Southampton. We've got something to say to the city because Jesus has given us this amazing good news. We've got a distinctive life to live in the city that makes that good news credible and attractive. But we've got a role for the city to serve it, to do good, to work for its renewal and transformation. And that's what we're looking at for the next few minutes, just taking a deep dive into these verses. Three things. First of all, it's about doing good for the city. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. I want to be really clear. The message of Jesus that we've been singing about and worshipping about this morning is incredible. It's fantastic news. It is the very best news that Jesus died and rose for us, not to make us all religious, but to bring us home to God, 
so that we could live every day of our lives in a relationship with him that will last forever into eternity. It is the best news ever. And a message has to be spoken. We do need words if we're going to communicate that message. And I love how God has used Alpha and still using Alpha to do that for so many people. Fantastic. But as well as being heard in words, the message of Jesus has to be seen in action and in the way that we serve our community. So that's what he's talking about here. And he says it begins with your attitude to the authorities around you. Did you see that? It's not where you expect him to begin, is it? But it says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that they say or do, but it does mean that we should have a default of respect towards the people that exercise leadership in our, in our community. The people running the city council, the people running the NHS. I loved it this morning that I've just said hello to a friend who's a head teacher of a school locally. We need to be respectful of those in authority in our community. And although we don't have to agree, I want to say it does mean that we shouldn't just give in to that culture of being endlessly cynical about anybody who's kind of in power. It's so easy to be cynical. It's so easy to tear down. But it's really difficult to lead in today's world. And they need our prayers and our respect and our support, not just that endless, easy cynicism. Respecting the authorities. And do that so that even if they hate you, and actually don't assume they will, often they won't, often they'll want to work with us. But even if they've got lots of questions... They can't help being glad that you're here because you're the church for the city. Respect the authorities. But it's not just a passive kind of thing. It's proactive as well. He says, be ready to do whatever is good. I love what I was seeing on that video earlier about Saints Alive. Doing good stuff in the city. Making Southampton a better place to be. Isn't it cool that that's right here in the Bible? Even, even with the Apostle Paul, who's all, not always the most popular of the New Testament authors, but here he is giving us exactly the same vision. Do good in your community. Be the church for the city. Make Southampton a better place to live. Make the place where you work a better place to work. Make the place where you study a better place to be a student. Do good in your community. This is about stepping into the needs of the city with help for the hungry and the homeless and the marginalised. It's about stepping into the loneliness with love and community. It's about stepping into the brokenness with healing, stepping into the despair with hope. Do good in the city. But it isn't just about projects. Did you see where he lands? Verse 2. It's about treating people well as well. Slander no one. Be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. Of course, that doesn't mean that we never have to do hard things. Sometimes we do. But it means that when we do have to do hard things, we try to do them in the kindest way we can because we want to treat people well. We all make mistakes in that. I make mistakes in that. But when we treat people kindly, we make the message of Jesus credible and attractive. So there's the vision. Be the church for the city. Respect the authorities. Do good in your community. Treat people well. 
because they're God's image bearers. That's what it means to be the church for Southampton. And it's key if we're going to make the message that we speak credible and attractive. I want to say when we get hold of this vision, there is room for so many different people with so many different gifts who can bring those gifts to make their contribution. There's room for people who can speak well and communicate well. There's room for people that are just great at connecting and forming relationships. There's room for people that are super practical and amazing at just getting things done. There's room for people who have kind of natural empathy for the marginalized and know how to reach out and give them dignity and make friends with them. There's room for people with creative gifts who just know how to make a place look beautiful and cool. There's room for all of us, just as God made us, when we get hold of this vision to be the church for the city. But the danger is that in all this, we end up becoming like, you know those slightly irritating people you sometimes meet, who they're just, they think, and you can tell they think, they're just more ethical, they're just better, they're just kind of good people, you know, and they make the rest of us feel just kind of we're not. We're just falling short on every front. We fly too much. and we. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Those kind of people, to be honest, they don't inspire and energize, do they? They kind of grate and drain. But the problem is, sometimes when we get committed to being the church for the city, we have to be really careful that we don't go down that route. We're not just meant to be people that are kind of, we're the sorted ones and we can sort you out. But you know, the great thing is, If we really get hold of the message of Jesus properly, it actually saves us from that. It's fascinating, in the the Greek version that this was originally written in, there's a little word that gets missed off at the beginning of verse 3 in our translations. And it's the word because, okay, that links verses 1 and 2 to verses 3 to 8. So Paul's saying, hey, be the church for Southampton and, 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 and kind of make the message credible by the way you live. But remember, verse 3, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, this is incredible. Paul's saying, look, as you serve the city, as the church for the city, you must never forget what your life was like before you met Jesus. He said, look, we're meant to be respecting authorities, doing good and treating people well. But remember, before we met Jesus, to be honest, we didn't respect authority. We were disobedient, verse 3. We didn't do good. We were slaves of worldly desires. And we didn't treat people well. We envied and hated people. We weren't like the people he just called us to be in verses one and two. So what changed us? Did we go on some kind of self-help course and sort ourselves out? Did we just get a grip and make our lives better? No. What happens is Jesus stepped into our lives. He changed us. Verse four, when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Do you see what He's saying? It isn't that we're smart people that are better than everybody else. It's Never mind. It's just that Jesus stepped into our lives. It was all God. It was all the good news of Jesus. And when you know that, 
You can't be stuck up and superior. You can only be thankful and humble. You can only be filled with grace towards other people. And that's absolutely key if we're going to be Jesus-like as the church for this city. We've got to do it as people who are filled with the grace of Jesus because we know it's him that's turned our lives around and nobody else. But you know, these verses, uh, verses kind of, what, three to eight, they're just so fantastic. We just need to suck the juice out of them for a little bit longer before we move on. They are brilliant. And they, they really take us right to the heart of real Christianity. What they tell us is that we don't get saved, that is brought back into relationship with God and having the past forgiven. We don't get saved because we're religious or good or smart. We get saved just because God is rich in mercy. He loves to forgive and rescue and he does it freely. That's what it's saying, isn't it? Verse four, when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It isn't what we do for God that counts. It's what he has done for us in Jesus Christ that counts. And that is the good news that sets us free. Because if it all depends on me, how do I ever know if I've really met the standard? How do I ever know if I've really done enough? How do I know if good is good enough? Especially when, if I'm honest with my own heart, even the best things I do have got messed up motives somewhere down beneath them. Do you see, it just doesn't work to say, I'm going to find my own way back into favour with God. It's just never going to happen. And the great news is it doesn't have to happen because Jesus has done it all for us in his cross and in his resurrection. Jesus died on the cross in our place. He took responsibility for all the rubbish and failure in our lives. He paid the price for it in full so that we don't have to. We can be forgiven. We can be set free. He's done it all so that all that we have to do is reach out with empty hands and receive and trust him. That's the good news of Jesus. And it's good news that on the one hand, humbles us because we didn't sort ourselves out. And on the other hand, it lifts us up because it brings us into a transforming relationship with God, which changes everything. And it's when we've understood that and when that has grabbed our hearts and changed us that we can start to be the church for the city not as smart Alex, but as filled with the grace of Jesus. And the great thing about all that has happened in our lives through Jesus and all that is happening is it's not just for now, it lasts on into eternity. Verse seven, this relationship with God that's already begun, it will outlast death, it will go on forever into a new world where there's no more suffering or sin or sorrow or pain and we're living in perfect relationship with God forever. This is really good news, isn't it? And what happens when that news lands in our lives? Well, verse eight tells us what happens. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who've trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. In other words, it changes our lives. Paul isn't saying you do the good stuff and then that brings you into this relationship with God. He's saying, no, when you're in that relationship with God, it changes you and it changes how you want to live and you start to want to be the church for the city, 
not just caught up in yourself. Did you notice those words, though, beginning in verse 8? This, this is a trustworthy saying, he says. All this stuff that we've just been talking about, Jesus dying on the cross for us, Jesus giving us forgiveness through what he did, not through what we do, Jesus changing us by the Holy Spirit, he says, this is, this is a trustworthy saying. He said, you, you can stake everything on this and it's not going to let you down. You can allow this to totally transform your values and your priorities. And it won't take your life away. It will give real life to you. This is a trustworthy saying. You know, some of us this morning, we might be struggling with all kinds of things. There's mental health challenges. There's cost of living. There's demotion for the saints. There are all these things. And, and it can be tough, can't it? But look, here is something that nobody can take away from you. If your trust is in Jesus, he's paid the price totally for all your failure. You're accepted by God and you've got the most incredible eternal future with him. It's a trustworthy saying and you can enjoy that. But can I just ask you this morning, has all of this actually landed in your life for sure? I loved it that we sang that little chorus. I've not sung that chorus for like, I don't know how long. It was brilliant that we sang that little chorus. I've decided to follow Jesus. Can I just ask you, have you decided to follow Jesus? See, it's, it's really easy to be around church and really like church, but you've never actually got to that point of encounter in your life where you said, this really is the best news in the world. Jesus, I do want to follow you. I'm in. I want to ask you, have you got to that point in your life? Have you had that moment? Because if you haven't, I want to say to you, to be honest, you're missing out on the best news that's ever been heard by human ears. You're missing out on the best future that has ever been offered to you. I want to urge you to make that decision today. You don't have to get a PhD in the Bible. You don't have to learn a whole lot of fancy language to do it. You just have to say, Jesus, I have messed up a lot and I can't sort myself out, but you can. Please forgive me. Come take charge. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And he will. Why don't you make that decision today if you never have? And make it the best day of your life. Kind of the beginning of your new life. A life with Jesus. And then finally, verses 9 to 15. I'm only going to touch on them quickly. They talk about staying on track for the city. So we've had... The church for the city, doing good for the city. We've had filled with grace in the city, staying on track for the city. Because actually, this vision of being the church for Southampton, it isn't going to happen without a fight. It's going to get contested and opposed all along the way. And so Paul lands it by saying, look, you've got to stay together, verses 9 and 10. You've got to not go down rabbit holes that distract you and divide you. Keep united and then keep caring, verses 12 and 13. Look after each other. And then verse 14, stay focused. Our people need to learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives doing good for the city because God has been good to you. Doing good for the city because that is what the message of Jesus leads you to want to do. Doing good for the city, not to make people think you're smart, but to make the good news of Jesus attractive and credible. 
That's the vision of this passage. So can I ask you again, what about you on that one? I know St. Mary's vision, that's fantastic. I'm totally with it. But for you as an individual, what do you want St. Mary's to be? Do you want it to be, honestly, the church for me and people like me? Or the church for the church, but with nobody else really noticing? Or do you want it to be the church for Southampton? Pressing value, goodness, and hope, and health into our great city. Because Jesus has a great heart for his church, a great heart for St. Mary's church, to be a faithful church that speaks the good news of Jesus to the city, to be a distinctive radical church that lives out discipleship in the city, and to be a serving church that's doing good for the city. That's his heart for you. Is it your heart for St. Mary's? Let's just pray together and then I'll hand back to John. Father, I want to thank you so much for this community and for all that you've done here at St. Mary's over the years and for the excitement of these five years and the wonderful thing that you've done in, in bringing such life and health and strength uh, into the church here. Thank you for John and Hannah and for those that work and serve with them. Thank you for everyone that's part of this church community. And I want to pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out upon the church here so that as they speak to the city and live in the city and serve for the city, you would bring an overspill of joy and life and hope and healing and salvation. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.